at the risk of sounding like an old grump or a killjoy, I need to confess something to you, if you like. I am not a big fan of happily ever afters. Call me mean, call me whatever, but you know the stories, you know the movies, the TV shows, where everything ends up on a high note and everything works out. The guy gets the girl, blah, 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 and everything comes together in the most annoying of ways. You know those stories I'm talking about? I hate those stories. I don't quite know why, but I think part of the reason that I don't like happily ever afters is because they don't mirror life, do they? Because happily ever after seems to imply that, well, everything was resolved, everything was taken care of, and now we're going to share the rest of our life together with no worries, no problems, and we're never going to have a bad day in our life. Happily ever after. That's not real life, is it? I think many of us know that that is not real life. And so understanding that, I think we can, hopefully, you can understand my struggle with the last part of the story of Job. It almost on the surface comes across as being a little happily ever after. And there's something that just irritates me to no end about that. Now, we've read the book of Job together. We've heard of Job's struggle. We've heard of the most righteous man on the planet having had everything taken from him. And we've heard of his struggle to deal with that. We've heard of his questions. We've heard of his pleas to God. And as you understand all that, you just think how how much the story has dragged on and how much every minute for Job has just dragged on as his friends are uh, telling him what he needs to do, telling him what's wrong with him, as he's trying to make sense of all these questions that he has. He's trying to make sense of the situation that he's in. And after all this wondering, God finally shows up and speaks out of the whirlwind. And to end that God's side of the conversation, the chapter before where we're at, God makes an an argument for being the absolute best crocodile hunter. It's a really weird response if you look at it. After that, Job gets a chance to respond, which is where we read today. And it's in Job's response that things start looking happily ever after. Yeah. Now, you may remember at the very beginning of our series, I, I suggested to you that the book of Job in its entirety does very little to answer some of those tough questions that we have going into the reading. Those questions about evil and suffering. Those questions about why bad things happen to good people and so forth. In fact, after you read the entire book, you almost come out with more questions than you had going into it. So, for example, Job gets all of his riches restored. And not even just his riches, he gets double of everything he had before, right? And then, oh, oh, the question is, well, why is that? Why is that a part of the story? Is that God's way of saying, my bad, didn't mean to do all that to you, Job, as a way of doing a good job at a boy, here you go. Here's a couple thousand donkey for you. Sounds good, right? Oh, you lost your family? 
no big deal. I'll give you a new wife and ten kids. That ought to make things up to you, right? Ten kids always makes everything better, right? (laughs) There's something strange about that. Why in the world do we have this kind of ending that's almost disturbing to them that all of this kind of works out happily ever after? Now, many people, I think, feel like they can relate to Job because they know what it means to question God. Or they know what it means to question suffering. Even what it feels like to be alone, to feel like you've been abandoned by God and by everybody else. And so we can look at the story of Job and think, that's me. I can connect there. There's a problem in some of that because sometimes we can look at this ending and we can be presented with an idea that is lurking in our Christian faith. Idea that is there and that this is one of those texts where you can look at it and say, look, there it is. This idea that. All you got to do, come to Jesus. Hmm? Come to Jesus, y'all, and everything is okay. Everything is fine. Everything is good. All your problems are taken care of. Everything you've ever wondered about, we got that. Possessions, it's all yours. God wants to give it all to you. There's nothing in the world you ever have to worry about. Just come to Jesus. I can't tell you how many sermons I have heard that have painted this sort of happily ever after picture of faith. And I'm here to suggest to you and boldly proclaim as much as I can that that is a lie. And I think that's part of what Job's story is trying to tell us because if you remember, you can do everything right and still have everything go wrong, we said before. But this idea that God just wants to give, 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 and give, we can see it from there. I think we need to be careful with that because sometimes that's nothing but the American dream wrapped up in God foil. Y'all with me? And we have to understand, I think, what the story of Job is really trying to show us. Life is not happily ever after, even if you're not an old grump. Is that true? Life is full of, yes, joy. Celebration. Life is full of happiness and dancing and rejoicing. But life is also full of mourning and tears and justice and unhappiness and pain and sorrow. Am I making that up? So what we understand is and what we realize is that life, even life with God, in all of its abundance, in all of its glory and grace and beauty, Life with God still involves life. And life is not happily ever after. Y'all with me? But I think if we look at Job's story again, as I wanted to, I think we can see that Job isn't painting a happily ever after scene. If we look again, we can see that Job is actually dealing with the real life that you and I know as not being happily ever after. You see, Job gets all of his riches restored, doubly so, right? And then his family and his friends show up, and they come, at least at one point, to do something very particular. What do they come to do in the reading? They come to comfort him 
and console him. As a side note, we always talk about the friends of Job throughout the story who come with their religious answers and they come with everything that they have in mind and they come with all their correct stuff and they come with all their theology. Never once did they really help Job, did they? But it's afterwards that his friends and his family come to comfort him. So what that tells me is that Job, even after having everything restored to him, still has these questions about what happened. Still has whatever he went through in the back of his mind. Is still dealing with those things. Is still mourning loss of family and everything else. So much so that his family and friends still have to come and console him. But at some point, even with all his struggle with his questions and his doubts and everything else, at some point, it seems that he decided get back to work one day. He decided that he had to start making business decisions again. Decided that he had to start living again. He's got to raise these ten kids now. You better get up with that. He's got a new wife. We've got to build this life with this new wife. And he's raising his kids and he's having this new life. And it seems to me that he's doing all of this with the one thing that he learned one thing was, God's wisdom is beyond our own. And that if God, the creator and sustainer of this world, the ultimate crocodile hunter, if God is willing to create and take care of the world, then certainly God is willing to care for us too. That seems to be something that we can take away from Job's story. God has this need almost for restoration. It's kind of God's business, what God does. God is in the business of restoration. It becomes important, I think, for Job's story to remind us that God is always willing to restore. And that's a hope that you and I have to have. And it's what we call our hope. It's the basis of our faith. That God, creator and sustainer of all things, is willing to care for us. And in that care, there is hope. There is hope for our struggles today. There is hope for our struggles tomorrow. There is hope for the lives that we lead together. There is hope for our relationships. Hope for our future. There is strength for today and bright what? Hope for tomorrow. That's the song we sing. There is hope. And that hope is at the base of what it means to be a child of God. That hope is what it means to be able to say, I know whatever is going on today is today. But tomorrow, God might have something different. Tomorrow might be the day. And that little bit of hope is everything we have. It's not just optimism. It's a trust. It's not just pie in the sky, I want to avoid everything that's going on. It's a sincere trust and faith in the one true living God. It's hope. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I hope you heard that.
there is always hope. Hope that our lives can be restored. Hopes that our, our life can have meaning. Hope that God is really at work in us and that God is in no way finished with us. We see that in the aftermath of everything that happened to Job. It seems that Job learned how to live into that hope. Sure, we got all the possessions back. Sure, we got the family back. But, you know, do you really get over losing family? No. Do you really get over all those questions? Not really. But maybe you learn how to live through them. And it seems to me that part of what Job's story shows us is that that can be done with hope in God. And what we realize also is that Job is only able to come to that experience, he's only able to come to that understanding of hope after his encounter with God. You remember Job reading some of him, oh, I cursed the day I was ever born. You ever felt like that? I wish I was never alive. I wish somebody would just do me in right now. Talk about having a bad day. And then Job has this experience with God. And then Job changes his attitude. See, Job doesn't get any questions answered, does he? Remember we said last week, God never really even addresses what Job is going through. But after that experience with God, Job, his attitude, his outlook, his life, is with us. When we experience God, we are changed. When God speaks to us, when God becomes visible to us, when it becomes apparent that the presence of God is with us, our hearts, our attitudes, our minds, our lives are changed. Who we are as people, and even who we are as people of God, are changed when we encounter God. How do we encounter God? Well, I mean, quite often people look to Sunday morning, oh, the presence of the Lord, and we sang this song, and this and that. It's great. Being at church on Sunday morning is an obvious way to experience God, but it's not the only way. And quite often I think we limit that. We say, well, God only works on Sundays. No, that's me, y'all. Okay. We can experience God anywhere and at all times. We can experience God when someone calls and says, you know what, I've been thinking about you. You doing okay? We can experience God when we say to someone else, I can't tell you how sorry I am for what I've done. We can experience God as we see others helping someone else. We can experience God as we ourselves serve other people. There are so many different ways we experience God. We experience God the celebration of Holy Communion. We experience God in reading of Scripture. We experience God because God, as we said last week, is everywhere. But we have to be willing to see God. And when that encounter with God happens, friends, we are, are changed. Our lives, our attitudes, who we are, are changed. The last line of the book of Job says, And Job died, old and full of days. Just like that. Nothing else to say. Job died, old and full of days. It seems to me that the writers didn't want us to believe that there was this 
happily ever after about life. Instead, I think what we, what we can see is that this hope that Job was able to take from his experience with God helped him live the rest of his life. So that his days would be full. His life would be full of days. And as we understand that, we can take in that, we can understand that even though we aren't promised that every day will be the best day ever. We aren't promised that everything is going to work out our way. We aren't promised that everything is going to be joy and roses, sunshine and rainbows and skittles. We aren't promised that everything is going to be fine every single day. We are promised that God is always with us. And if that's our promise, friends, that maybe, like Job, our life can be full of days and our days could be full of life, the life of hope that God wants for all of us. So, as God's people, as we consider all the many great ways that God has worked in our lives and the world around us, could we pray together and ask that that hope to be felt by each one of us here. That the hope of God would transcend every situation, joyful or not, in our lives, so that we could begin to see with eyes of hope, hope that comes from God. Would you pray with me? O oh God of life, you are so willing to give life, and each day we understand you offer us new life. So God, considering everything that is going on in our life right now, we offer ourselves to you and ask that you would help us to see with eyes of hope, to see how your presence and your power and your grace can do great things in our lives and in this world, that you would fill us with your hope, that this hope would sustain us, Hope would keep us joyful in great times and remind us of your love in difficult times. God, in your mercy we pray and ask that your hope would fill this place and our hearts now. In Jesus' name.